0: Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it!
1: Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer Michael Bronner, joining you this afternoon. We want to thank everyone for tuning in, and of course. You can always give us a call here at WNSP, 251-694-1055, or you can get in touch with us in the app. And always a great show scheduled for you as today, Jaques Doucette joining us to talk a little LSU Tigers and what's going on in Baton Rouge from a baseball and football standpoint. As always on Tuesdays, Chris Gordy. Will be joining us along with John Fanta talking about the evolution and the changing in college basketball. But of course, today, Michael Brauner, earlier this morning, breaking news that the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and DP World Tour will all unify and continue to be one big conglomerate in 2024. It's made some people upset, it's made some people happy, but at the end of the day, you're still going to see the world's best golfers in 2024 underneath one umbrella.
2: Yeah, it's a it's there's a lot of layers to this one. So, first and foremost, it I think it caught a ton of people off guard, myself included. You know, this was maybe something that was talked about as a possibility. Uh, I think a lot of people probably thought this was inevitable eventually, but the fact that this kind of just happened out of nowhere today, it wasn't like we were talking about this in the last week, like, oh, this is coming. It just happened this morning. A lot of people were like, is it April 1st? Like, this this just came out of nowhere. And so, yeah, it, it's uh, the the live versus PGA drama, which, you know, depending on where you fall on that aisle, wasn't all that much drama at all. but. It is what it is, and uh, they're all going to be under the same umbrella. How it should be. There, there's a lot of layers to this one. You know, you take look at your Brooks Kepkas of the world, who probably have made fifty million dollars at least over the past year. You know, these are guys that signed nine-figure contracts to go to Live Golf. How those contracts were doled out, uh, I don't exactly know. Like, was did Brooks Kepka make a hundred million dollars in the last year? Like, probably not. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm assuming all the big name guys that left probably got some sort of big signing bonus type situation to leave the PGA tour for live and got uh, and got a giant payday and especially if you won a couple of events certainly got paid as well obviously you didn't need to win events to make money on live that was kind of the big draw right, of it right. to begin with but uh yeah i mean take your your rory mackerel of the world who make them make themselves the the face of being anti-live and and what do they get out of this now really just a a, a hearty thank you from the pga tour and, and nothing more i guess ultimately they will probably make more money out of this because it's going to make the pga tour and the the golf world in general, more lucrative. Uh, you know, there's now, now I'll tell you what, now no journalists are going to question the, uh, the morals of golf, even though it's all coming from the same place, like the, the Saudis and, and what it's all going to be under the same umbrella. Like who cares where the money's coming from? Cause, uh, Oh, it's all unified now. Uh, there, there's no, it's not so taboo anymore, but it's a lot of hypocrite, hippie, uh, hypocrites, under the PGA Tour umbrella, and it is what it is. It's all about money. But, it but what is. you're
1: what you're doing is, to me, going back to to the betterment of the game. Yeah. And when you have all the golfers being able to play at all the events, that's what the average golfing fan wants to see on a Thursday, Friday, yeah. Saturday, and Sunday. No doubt. They they want to see the world's best golfers which, you know, okay, great. You you see it at the Masters. You see it at certain events that have happened where you have the crossover with Liv and PGA. But the back and forth, it's kind of like, okay, if anyone ever separates from the NFL, would that league sustain yeah. itself? Well, of course, you'll have the backing and the funding. But Liv Golf was not meant to be a developmental league the way that, the XFL mm-hmm. and the USFL is set up in football, it was or a competitive league, league in yeah. basketball. It's not set up from a development standpoint. The XFL wasn't to trying
2: to like pick off Patrick Mahomes to try come play for the oh, we'll give you 500 million dollars Patrick come play for the XFL. That's not it wasn't what like that. Other leagues
1: or and have done yeah. and are doing. Golf on the other hand, you took the world's best golfers and you created an entire separately not to mention it was done with politically it it made a lot of people angry with who the backing of the live group was yeah but does it really matter as long as you have the world's best golfers playing together does it matter where the money comes from
2: again i i think it depends on who you ask like there are going to be people that are upset about this and i i think it's probably silly uh, in my mind no I, I I don't think it really matters uh, so I'm just I'm happy that the best golfers will all be playing together. I think the huge winners in this, like I said, are the guys that did take the money and go to live because what is ultimately the Punishment, So so, uh, so, as it were, there really is none. They just got a lot of money, played less golf for a year, and now get to come back to the PGA Tour. This, this is a tweet from uh, Joel Beal, his name is, and I, I think this is the best way to sum it up. There's so much to unpack, but the thing I keep going back to is this. Rory McElroy took a stand for what he believed was right, which brought an invisible pain and weight that can't be measured and was sold out by the very thing he was trying to defend. So it's like the PGA Tour... Took this stand and, and it was kind of framed around morality and, like, oh, we're, like, if you go to, you know, you have to, you never have to apologize for playing on the PGA tour, whereas, like, your morals are going to be called into question if you go and play for live, but. Really, now, the PGA Tour put themselves in a situation this year where... So, basically, if if you don't follow golf closely, there were some rule changes on the PGA Tour this year where there were more of these things called elevated events. And what an elevated event means is basically... Essentially, it boils down to there was a bigger purse and, uh, you know, more money is given out. So, like, take the RBC Heritage this past week, for example. It's like there was more money given out this year at that event than there would have been in years past. And that was done to kind of try to counteract Live and discourage guys from going to Live. So the PGA Tour kind of put themselves in a gray area financially where... All right, like are we going to be able to, to sustain this and uh and keep in the green over the if we keep doing this over the next 10 years? And I guess Jay Monahan, commissioner of the PGA Tour probably realized like ah, like no, we, like we can't. So Let's just go ahead and and partner up with the <laughs> with the live tour, which is just like hilariously hypocritical because now the now the PGA tour is going to be aligning itself with the very thing that they kind of were so against. But it wasn't they were against it because of morals, even though they said they were. They were against it because they thought they could uh, they could sustain on their own, and evidently they couldn't. So it, it really is pretty fascinating
1: stuff. I mean, but the good thing is your litigation now comes to an end too because you had the live suing pga tour in federal court last year and i think that that's what makes it so supportive and happy for the average golf fan maybe not the average golf player that's on the tour because whether you are with the PGA or whether you decided to join Live, you ultimately took sides. Yeah. You ultimately chose a side to take. Whether it was for money, whether it was just to have shorter courses, um, wh- whatever your reason. Play, reasoning let, play was. less.
2: Play go- less. Like here's the th- It's like I I got into this argument with so many people so many times, and it's like you can you can debate the morals of it, but like take the co- and, and people like to say like you can't compare it to. The common man, the common job. Like, if you asked me or you, would you do one hour of radio instead of three hours of radio for for five times the money? Of course you would. Like, you'd be, you'd be a fool not to. It, it, you'd be insane to turn that down. So I I just thought it like when when people got so upset at people for defecting to live. It's like what? Like why wouldn't you? at least give it consideration. Like, take Tiger Woods, for example. Yeah, Tiger Woods turned down a $700 million deal. Tiger Woods is nearly a billionaire. Like, it's not about... He's not playing golf for money at this point in his career. But a lot of these guys, like, they see it as their job, and rightfully so. It is their job. They're professional athletes, yes, and we watch them every, and uh, on a national scale, and yes, so their life is under a bigger magnifying glass than, than uh, you know, the common person with a regular job might be. But... It's, it really does boil down to that simple of a, of a question for me. It's like, oh, like I do less work for a lot more money? Kind of seems like a no-brainer there. Why would I not do that? And there are guys that said, like, no, I'm not going because I want to compete against the best and play on the best tour of the world. And listen, I respect that. And I respect the guys that didn't go. But at the same time, to shame the guys that did go, well, guess who the big winners of today are? the guys who went to live because they're coming back and they're going to face no punishment whatsoever. Everyone's going to be playing together again in a year from now. This is going to be a, a flash in the pen. No one's going to care a year from now. No one's going to remember, oh, oh, like, Brooks Kepka's legacy was destroyed because he went to live. Well, guess what? When he wins the U.S. Open two years from now, for example, is anyone going to care? Like, it was a topic at the PGA a couple weeks ago, I suppose, uh, just because, like, I guess the awkwardness of, like, having the live guys play in the majors. And, like, yeah, it was a topic. And, like, Jim Nance during the Masters, like, probably threw a couple of subtle digs uh, about yes, live at Brooks. But, like... Now, who cares, man? It's like like are a year from now. Are we really gonna care? Like, oh yeah, Kepka took a bunch of money to go to Live and play less golf for more money. I mean, I I would have done the same thing, man. I I I really cannot uh, I really cannot blame him. A- and I th- I think they probably made the right call. And there's not a single Live guy who who uh, is wishing they didn't take the money at well, this point.
1: I wonder when the Live comes on the CW. On the weekends, what what the contract was or is with CW, because that is a station that really, really pushed live golf and the excitement of live yeah. golf. And
2: no and one was watching
1: it. And, but and that's the, that's the question, too. I mean, a lot of people that don't get cable. OK, you're going to get the CW with the, your antenna and whether you want to watch it or not, it's going to be on with your rabbit ears or with an antenna without cable. Whereas the same thing with the PGA Tour, yep. you get CBS, you can get CBS without rabbit ears or with rabbit ears. So you have an opportunity to watch your Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday golf there on the weekends. Also, I, I just think that contractually and financially was the live failing. Was the live going to go under this time next year? or was well, it going to continue to stay alive?
2: That's a that's an entirely different question and a really interesting one cuz I don't think the live live wasn't making really a profit. No one was watching it. No one really cared about it. But at the same time, it's like for for the Saudis, like the goal wasn't uh, obviously uh, eventually the goal was to make money, but I, I mean the goal was also to kind of Mask, you know, mask the issues that that Saudi Arabia might have with, uh, oh look, you know, here's this fancy golf tour. So, you know, the Saudis have unlimited money, and, and it's they're, you know, they're throwing out a hundred million dollar contracts. They offered Tiger nearly a billion dollars. So, like, that's pennies to them. So, I, I don't think it was at risk of going under. They were gonna keep keep riding that train until the wheels fell off. So, no, I mean, I I don't think it was at risk of going on. I don't think the PGA Tour was ever gonna go under either. But it's like at no, a certain the point tour was not going to go on. so it's so it's kind of like both probably realized it's in both of our best interests to kind of just uh you know put this whole thing aside and it was an interesting year but uh let's all go under one umbrella years. again yeah because
1: from the time you started talking about there being the formation of live golf was it going to be able to sustain itself was it actually going to happen in the And the launch in the capital of when it did happen were you going to continue to be able to participate in majors and what majors you were gonna be able to participate in. It's
2: like if you're a like and they were so like if you were a live guy like talk about a perfect situation oh all right i'm gonna play three rounds of golf instead of four i'm gonna play less tournaments i'm gonna play in cool places i'm gonna get paid no matter what oh and also i'm still allowed to play in the biggest tournaments in the world i'm gonna be brooks kepka and still show up at the masters still still play fantastically have a really good chance to win oh i finished second that sucks guess what i'm gonna show up at the pga championship a month later and win the damn thing it's really like to, to to be upset about this and there are people who are upset about it but i i get it the the only people, I think, who have a right to be upset about this are the PGA guys who stayed loyal to the PGA and turned down $100 million offers from Liv. Because but now they
1: have no say-so. The decision's already been made for yeah. them. Now, the decision for the PGA golfers to leave Liv, that was always an option. Yeah. And, and And everyone loves options. That's why they make combo meals at every fast food restaurant you go to. The more options, the better. But for those golfers who got paid regardless and left, again, the financial gains by them are tremendous. Yeah. And, and I just think there's still going to be a lot of animosity amongst the players. Now, the for fans, a again, while as a fan, I love to see every single event moving forward in 2024 with all the best golfers in the world playing every single event. But what does it? what is it going to be called? I wonder what kind of name they're going to come up with because now you're looking at possibly the rebranding yeah. of an entire organization that has deep roots. And I'm telling you right now, there are going to be a lot of people who are very upset that are currently on the PGA Tour. Now, what choice do they have? Are they going to go form their own golf organization? No, they're not. They're going to continue to play, or they're going to go ahead and set their clubs down and not play.
2: Yeah, it 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 really is just uh like the like I said, I I really think the only people like I I think a great example is Ricky Fowler, like someone who obviously he's never won a major, he's struggled a lot over the last five years to the point where he almost lost his tour card. And he's been playing a lot better over the past couple of years. Turns down probably a nine-figure, at least high eight-figure deal to go to live uh, to stay on the PGA Tour for fear of losing that the right to play on the PGA Tour ever again or the right to play in these majors. P- probably played well enough over the past year to win a couple of these live events. And now, well, guess what? What, what did you get for that, Ricky? Well, you're going to get a nice pat on the back and a big thank you from the PGA Tour. That's all. That's all oh, you're no, going to get. What,
1: what's interesting to me, too, Michael, is the fact that a lot of players on live and the PGA were totally blindsided. Didn't see yeah. this coming. That's at the big, all. that's the big thing. No, I mean, there was no, as of yesterday, which is wild. When, when, when you're talking to John rachetti if there would have been an inkling or sources say that Not this could be happening, that it was going to be leaked. There was nothing that was leaked until the announcement today about the merging of and of the umbrella now with the live, the DP World Tour Unify and the PGA tour all under one now no one had a clue this was happening. When they say breaking news that is the true meaning. definition of breaking news
2: yeah even like like colin morikawa tweeted today like oh well love finding out this breaking news on twitter this morning like it's crazy they didn't even know there there was no notice until it already happened i it, it really i jay monahan Oh boy! I, there was uh, I think Dan Ravaport who's one of the one of the bigger golf reporters. He's he's uh you know asking players, how does Jay Monahan survive this? And a lot of them are saying he can't. He's he's done, man. Uh, this is this is a
1: tough look for the guy. It's a horrible look, but at the same time, the winner to me are the fans, and yeah. it's going to continue to be a billion dollar business, whether it's Live Golf, whether it's PGA Tour whether you go ahead and rebrand and rename the entire thing, what you've done now is you've, you've made the umbrella even bigger and the bank that you're making deposits in, it just got bigger. You're Uh, not lacking for sponsors. You're going to go ahead to me. Like you said, a year from now, everybody will get over it, but the winners are you and I and the fans who like to tune in and go watch these events live for sure. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner joining you on this Tuesday afternoon.
3: I'm Laura Rutledge with ESPN. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Keep it right here for the best sports
2: information in Mobile.
1: Welcome back to the Final Drive. Corey Bounty along with Michael Bronner, joining you this afternoon. And, of course, after last night, we do have our Super Regionals that are set for the NCAA Baseball Tournament. Of course, it is best of three Super Regionals. And here are your series matchups, Brauner Let me know who you like. All In right. These best of three matchups. I'll rapid fire pick them. South Carolina at Florida. Florida. All righty. Duke at Virginia. Virginia. Oral Roberts at Oregon. <laughs> Blindly picking this one, but I'll go Oregon. Indiana State at TCU. I've taken all home teams, TCU. All righty now. Uh, I'm going to beg the differ with you on this one. All home teams. Alabama at Wake Forest, <laughs> Saturday at 11 a.m. Uh, Go ahead and See, say I'd love to pick Alabama,
2: but I think the Cinderella story comes to an end for the Crimson Tide in Winston-Salem. I think uh, I think Wake's just too good, man. I, I mean, I, again, I said yesterday I'd love to be proven wrong here, but uh, ultimately you're telling me to predict
1: it. I'm going to predict Wake. Here we go. Texas at Stanford. Uh, how about Texas? Kentucky at LSU. LSU tennessee at southern miss and i will say this southern miss Mm. is the team that really is being slept on i'm going with southern miss here actually yeah i I like the fact that that's a great matchup it's saturday at two o'clock on espnu and how about the sec matchups with kentucky at lsu i love that south
2: carolina florida
1: one and you start off the beginning matchup, like you mentioned, South Carolina at Florida. So, yeah. four of your teams pit SEC versus SEC. Mm-hmm. That's something that you really don't see a lot of. But, it, it again, it goes to speak of the depth of this conference. It is far and away. No one else close. The best
2: conference in college baseball. So... We'll see though. Uh, Southern, Mi- so you said Southern Miss is good, and uh, I really, I, re- I really like their chances against Tennessee. The Hattiesburg Super Regional. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, I'm going to be rooting hard for Southern Miss. But least. what
1: you love to see as well is kind of like in basketball when you have the sleepers and the non-traditional Power Five schools get in, such as Oral Roberts. Yeah, baseball's cool like that. Oral Roberts at. Oregon is one of those to where I think it's going to be a great matchup but the SEC continues to dominate and we'll see if the SEC will have an opportunity to make it to Omaha and at least two teams are we know that and and we we talked about this though yesterday the dominance of the Oklahoma softball program the longest winning streak in Division 1 history 51 games in Division One history, and I'm not talking just softball, because Oklahoma football had the longest winning streak in football. They've outscored teams 420 to 49 this season, out-homer teams 105 to 19, and won 28 of 51 games via the shutout and 23-run rule. Amazing when you talk about Oklahoma, and I mentioned yesterday one of the best dynasties you'll ever hear in any sport. Mr. Doucette coming up next to talk the LSU Tigers here on the Final Drive.
4: Hi, this is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSB Sports Radio.
1: Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte, along with my producer, Michael Brauner And, of course, with the Super Regionals going on, Baton Rouge is always a busy place. And when you look at the preseason rankings, you always have to talk in baseball, the LSU Tigers baseball program. And who better than to talk a lifelong Louisiana native, Jacques Doucette, joins us from wafb9 sports good afternoon mr Duset.
5: good afternoon thanks for having
1: me on always a pleasure and when you look at lsu baseball they're going to have an opportunity to play the kentucky wildcats again and back in april the lsu tigers were able to take two out of three from kentucky so it's a familiar foe and one that's a Southeastern Conference foe.
5: Yeah, uh, as you referenced, to start things off, LSU was uh, the preseason number one team across the board. Uh, A lot of big-name pickups in the offseason in this new NIL, free agency era, so to speak. And uh, now they're two wins away from uh, reaching Omaha, which uh, I think a lot of people... Fair or unfair, say that's the floor uh, for this year's team. Um, when you come to LSU and you play for them, uh, it's Omaha bust basically uh, every year. This team, I think, uh, you know more than teams in years past was expected to win the the national championship. And uh, as you said, LSU played Kentucky uh, way back when. They took two of three in that series. I remember the first game was a blowout. The second game, Kentucky's. Won uh, it, and then the third game LSU was able to squeak by. So uh, I, I don't have a whole lot of uh, reference and things to tell you about Kentucky at the moment. The one thing I do remember is that they were a chatty bunch. Uh, I sh- I was standing behind their dugout, kind of shooting the game, the highlights, and boy, they 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 talk a lot, and uh, it, they were a chatty bunch. And I think a lot of LSU fans were surprised, like how vocal they were. It's like, man, you're Kentucky baseball, you know, but they have come <laughs> on and uh, and they're two wins away from Omaha, just like
1: LSU. Well, when you have success the way that Coach Jay Johnson has had at LSU, is, is Wes Johnson related to him, the pitching coach <laughs> no,
5: I don't think so. Uh, I, well, I mean, he's talking by blood. Yeah, uh, no, yeah I don't by, think by
1: blood. You know, Johnson and Johnson, because I, I want to say yeah. that West Johnson has, has been named or, or is in consideration for some head coaching positions.
5: Well, yeah, he's going to become the new head coach of Georgia. Um, I think the news, and that was a very uh, unique thing yesterday, just as LSU had, Recorded the final out against Oregon State and had punched their ticket to the Supers. We're going down the field to get some video and some post-game interviews. And uh, Jay Johnson gathers up the team like he always does. Gives them some post-game instruction and thoughts. They were all walking to the locker room. And then the news breaks on Twitter that Wes Johnson going to become the new head coach of Georgia. Jay Johnson gathers up the team again. You hear a smattering of applause. In the circle in which they uh, announced that hey, your pitching coach is going to become the new head coach of Georgia. So uh, I think uh, that that's a, a unique story here. LSU got Wes Johnson the off-season from the Minnesota Twins, uh, paid him a lot of money to be the, to be the pitching coach. They called him the best pitching coach in the country. Uh, the results from LSU's pitching a bit up and down this year. They, they've been better in the last month or so but uh, uh, Jay Johnson going to be looking for his third pitching coach in three years at LSU, uh, and Coach uh, Wes Johnson will stay on for the remainder of the season as long as LSU's playing baseball. He'll be there, but uh, eventually he'll be moving on to Athens.
2: Talking to Jacques DuCetti covers LSU for WAFB Sports. Jacques, it was interesting to hear you say that a lot of people consider Omaha to be kind of the floor for this LSU team. I, mean, What is the reaction going to be? let's say, Kentucky were to come in and win this Super Regional?
5: Oh, it'd be a great disappointment. You know, you have reached the uh, Sweet 16 of college baseball, so to speak, and which is what Paul Maneri did in his final year when he retired. But uh, I think there was a growing sentiment that Coach Maneri, a Hall of Fame coach, and who, in my opinion, did a, a terrific job at LSU, uh, that it was time for a change. Maybe things had grown stale, grown stale a little bit, but... You know, to get Tommy White from North Carolina State, to get Paul Skeens from Air Force, who's the the player of the year uh, across the board, and then you got Dylan Cruz, a generational talent, who could be a national player of the year himself. There's a lot of talk that Dylan Cruz is the greatest player in LSU history, which is obviously a very strong statement. Uh, You've got guys like Trey Morgan. Um, I mean, you've got a, you've got a town, you've got a roster that is really loaded with special players, top to bottom. So to not reach Omaha and Nebraska, I think would be a, a great disappointment. I think if you reach Omaha and you win a game or two there, and even if you don't win the national title, okay, you've had a. Exciting year, but uh, you know LSU. Uh, obviously, during the Skip Bertman time, from the late '80s to the early you know, t- 2000s, uh, you know, went to Omaha 11 times under Skip Burman, won the national championship five times. It's much harder to win today than it used to be, because of Skip Bertman. He made teams in the SEC better, not just LSU. But, uh, yeah, they've got to make it to Omaha, I think, for most people to consider the season uh, a success.
1: LSU wins the SEC West in football. Then you turn around and Kim Mulkey wins the national championship in basketball. If LSU is able to pull off this national championship run in the College World Series, that would be one hell of a year for the LSU Tiger program.
5: Yeah, you know, LSU got a new athletic director in Scott Woodward who came from Texas A&M and had been at Washington. Uh, Woodward grew up in Baton Rouge. He had worked at LSU in the past, and really he has changed the landscape of LSU since he became uh, the AD. Uh, Ed Ogeron was fired. Uh, Brian Kelly was brought in. Uh, Nikki Fargus left on her own accord, although I think it was another year or so, and she might have been uh, nudged out herself. Um, Scott Wilbur does what considered to be the impossible. Things like that don't happen. Kim, uh, coaches of Kim Mulkey's caliber don't leave for other jobs. But she comes home. She becomes the LSU women's head uh, basketball coach. And Jay Johnson, uh, thought to be a uh, you know Scott Wilbur in small chat with us, has always told us that. He just absolutely killed the interview when, uh, when Coach Johnson interviewed for the LSU job. He's a relentless worker, um, and he's somebody. I mean, he said it out loud himself at the press conference yesterday. This is my life, uh, being the LSU head baseball coach. So, yeah, uh, it's been an exciting time for LSU athletics. The gymnastics program is always highly ranked and competed for a national title. They haven't gotten one yet. But um, everything is at a pretty high level
1: I think we lost Mr. Doucette there, but everything being at a high level is what he was talking about within the LSU program, and I think that you really can't argue when you are winning the SEC West in Brian Kelly's first year, and of course the legendary coach Skip Bertman establishing that LSU baseball foundation. Kentucky at LSU that's scheduled to start Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. And I think we do have Mr. Doucette back. Welcome back to the final drive. You're talking about we lost you right when you were talking about LSU being at such a high level.
5: Yeah, I think uh, I was talking about the sports that weren't doing well, and that's when the call dropped for
2: whatever reason. Uh, For whatever reason.
5: Yeah, I think LSU, yeah, they're doing well pretty much across the board. Men's basketball with the whole Will Wade situation, uh, you know, having to fire him and hire a new coach, and, you know, the NCAA still hasn't ruled on what LSU's punishment is going to be, so they're kind of struggling, and softball is, you know, uh, not made out of a regional the past couple of years after Beth Beth Torino went to the College World Series four out of her first six years and Super Regionals after that. But, yeah, uh, things are going well here. Brian Kelly, big things expected in year two with football. And and Kim Mulkey, my goodness, uh, the roster that she has on paper, her biggest uh, challenge this year is trying to keep all these people happy. And there's one basketball and a bunch of superstars. So, that's gonna be exciting to watch, too.
2: Yeah, Jacques Dusset, our guest this afternoon on the final drive, WAFB sports cover in LSU. Yeah, I want to transition over to football. Uh, obviously, Brian Kelly wins the SEC West in year one. You could argue in a lot of ways he overachieved. There certainly in a down year for Alabama, able to beat Alabama and Baton Rouge in a game that came down to the final play. So I feel like LSU is kind of now in a weird spot entering year two, where you achieve so much in year one. Obviously, you have to go-to break. Bryant-Denny Stadium this year, I, there are other teams in the SEC West that should be better as well. I mean, is, is Brian Kelly in a spot where almost if you don't win the SEC West, it's going to be a massive disappointment?
5: Well, I don't know about massive disappointment. Uh, I, I do chuckle to myself when I hear down year for Alabama. I mean, we've been watching you guys from a distance pretty much uh, You know, dominate the sport for for a long time, until the recent years of uh, of Kirby, I think what Alabama lost two games last year in the most intimidating, loudest environments on the final play of the game. So I don't think that they're that far off. However, I do I do see LSU fans paying attention to their quarterback situation and uh, the fact that they take in a guy from Notre Dame who apparently is not all that fantastic after spring ball is over. Is that a panic button? And, and does Alabama have a quarterback? Uh, LSU has gone to Tuscaloosa and one, uh, they did it in 19. The game was very close the last time. I I mean, I went over there not looking forward to that game at all in 2021. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I think Alabama was a a 30 point favorite and LSU barely lost. I think it was 20 to 14. So, uh, look, I'm sure they're going to be very motivated to beat LSU this year. They're going to probably replay that two point conversion in their mind and on video screens throughout, um, but, you know, Jaden Daniels is a is a veteran, experienced, uh, very exciting quarterback. There's some things he needs to improve upon. Uh, but, you know, Brian Kelly's a winner, and what he did in his first year was certainly overachieving. Like you mentioned, I think the, the win total last year was six and a half. They win ten. Uh, this year it's going to be more like nine and a half, ten, and they've got a huge game to start out with Florida State and Orlando, which a lot of people are calling the biggest non-conference uh, game of the year in college football. So, uh, But, yeah, I, I think uh, LSU is expected to compete and to possibly win the SEC West. But, once again, the question is, is anybody good enough to beat Georgia once they get there?
1: LSU, and, again, we, we mentioned the expectations there with the new athletic director I think that a lot of people, of course, we know about the earthquake game that occurred between LSU and Auburn a few more than a few years ago now, but we'll say many years yeah. ago. Is there a more electric atmosphere? Than nighttime in Baton Rouge and also at Alex Box Stadium, Skip Bertman Field, because I know that the vibrations in that stadium have been known to be, if not the best, one of the best atmospheres in all of college baseball and football. When you look at Death Valley on the same campus, a little less than probably one mile apart, that makes for a pretty great environment down in Baton Rouge.
5: No, there's no doubt about it. I, I think you guys are probably maybe a, a tad younger than I am, but the earthquake game, believe it or not, the 35 year anniversary of that's coming up this year. It was 1988. I remember well, wa- very well watching it on television. I used to have a, what's called a VHS uh, of that game, and I used to watch the final drive. And every now and then, when I'm bored, I'll put it on YouTube and watch that final drive, Tommy Hudson, Eddie Fuller. But yeah, I, I think um, it's I think Tiger Stadium these days if you've got seven home games or eight maybe, I think that you truly capture the, the true essence of what Tiger Stadium is maybe twice a year. Uh, I think it's harder now to repu- uh, replicate those just crazy atmospheres. The LSU-Alabama game last year was a 10. It was a perfect 10. Uh, when LSU played Florida in 2019 at night, that was a perfect 10. But you know, with television coverage now and tailgating, and people don't want to sit still, and they get bored and ADD. I mean, so many people either don't show up, they leave at halftime, uh, and so it's hard to 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 to, uh, to get it right. But when it is right, it is the best atmosphere in college football, in my opinion. Uh, the student section is always on fire and uh, there's just something about people from South Louisiana and across Louisiana when they fill that place up to 101,000 people and the LSU band plays and the defense makes a big quarterback sack that, uh, yeah, it gives you goosebumps, there's no doubt. And and Alley Box Stadium uh you know the old alec box where skip Bertman played and it, it was probably louder everyone will tell you that because the noise was more concentrated it was less uh, wine and cheese crowd than the new alec box i say the new alec box it's 14 years old but uh but still a very intimidating place to play once the fans get rolling and this first super regional game will be in the daytime it won't be at night it be, could be hot as hell out there but we'll uh, we'll see but um, there were a lot of empty seats this past weekend for a few reasons: weather, uh, people have to work on Monday, obviously. But I think this weekend they know this is the last weekend, and they're gonna they're gonna pack it out.
1: Jacques Do said, "How can people follow your great coverage of the LSU Tigers?" And, again, not just LSU baseball, LSU football, LSU basketball, you being a lifelong Louisiana native, having an opportunity to grow up and cover now the LSU Tigers, I know has to be a lifelong dream fulfilled for yourself.
5: Yeah, man, it doesn't feel like work. I I try not to call it work. It is time-consuming, and it does require effort. But I always said that if uh, I could be covering LSU sports and be an hour from new orleans saints games on sunday and drive down the road and get to cover them as well that'd be a dream job and so i guess that's one reason why i've never left i've been at channel nine over two decades it's, uh, 22 years uh this past march so uh, you can find me on twitter uh jacques Douce. uh website is wafb.com uh, you can find me on facebook as well and uh yeah it's a special place i love uh Love Louisiana. I love going to Alabama to cover sports as well. I always enjoy going to Jordan-Hare Stadium and Tuscaloosa and Brian Denny. And um, SEC is a special thing to cover, and I uh, always uh, enjoy doing it.
1: Appreciate you and your time this afternoon, and we'll look forward to seeing if LSU can hold on at home against Kentucky starting Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. on ESPN. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jacques Doucet joining us this afternoon here on the final drive to talk about the LSU Tigers program. We'll be right back here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5.
6: My name is David Palmer, and I'm on WNFC
5: 105.5.
1: to the final drive on WNSP 105.5 wrapping up our number one and of course in our number one we definitely had an opportunity to open the show to talk about the breaking news of the day and that's the PGA Tour merging with Live Golf and I I think that when you have in 2024 a brand new start for golf it's going to create good bad it's still going to generate momentum and that's exactly eyeballs who normally don't want to watch golf normally when the masters comes on they, they tune in when the pga championship happens they tune in british open us they're tuning in so i think that when you have this type of merger whether you like it or you don't like it, whether the players like it, whether they don't like it. The media are going to put microphones in front of the players' mouths, and they have their own social media accounts via Twitter or Instagram to sound off how they feel about it. But it's coming in 2024, a new look for golf. And I think it's a good look as far as from getting a chance to see all the top golfers in the world underneath one umbrella. Yeah, and uh, again, that's kind of how
2: it should be, kind of how it should have been. Obviously, it's been a turbulent year, a turbulent two or three years, uh, in in the golf world. And uh, yeah, it's it's it seems like probably a year from now, two years from now, it's uh, it's all going to be a distant memory.
1: Well, 2024 will be here before you know it. And, and for those that are wondering, 2023 Live Tour will be completed. And it's not going to stop. But I just think the fact that when, as a as a spectator, whether you're live at the event and purchase a ticket or whether you watch it on television, that golf, it, you, you, it's a traditionalist game. It hasn't changed. Mike, I know you, you love golf, but mm-hmm. what you love as a fan is the fact to see the best players in the world participate in every single event that's what moved the tiger needle i mean when tiger was injured of course people didn't like that but tiger being the greatest golfer until he was injured that's what people wanted to see i mean the the tiger effect was in effect but will other golfers possibly take this and and say look i'd rather put down my clubs Put down their clubs and and just not play anymore. That's and, and look, just yeah, I do don't it, think so. Play for fun, yeah, because there comes a standard to where certain people are going to stand behind what they believe in, we'll and see. that's
2: okay too. I mean, I guess the guys who have made enough money to, uh, you know, to live for the rest of their lives more than comfortably, I, I guess that's an option for some of them, like the Rory McIlroys of the
1: world. We'll see. I don't think so, because I, I want to play against the best. Yeah, no and doubt. I want a full roster to do so in 2024. That's what we're going to get in professional golf. Hour number two of the final drive coming right up.
0: It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile.
1: Number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And, of course, breaking news of the day, PGA Tour and Live Golf Unification, along with another organization of golf coming at it, too, and the European Tour. So, basically, you're taking all three of these and, creating if you want to call it a brand new league is is what you can call it it's just to me traditional golf because before there was live or the european tour you just had great golf and whether you wanted to call it the pga or not that's exactly what you had we would love to hear from you in the app you can hit us up in the app or give us a call at 251-694-1055 but wanted to go to chris gordy Locked on SEC host does a tremendous job covering the Southeastern Conference. And of course, this time of year in the Southeastern Conference, it's super regional time. And you open up with a pair of Southeastern Conference teams playing one another. South Carolina at Florida, and of course, Kentucky at LSU. Alabama has the tall task of going on the road and playing at Wake Forest. Chris Gordy, good afternoon, and welcome to the final drive. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to be all with you. Always a pleasure. And now, when you look at the SEC's chances of coming away with a national championship in baseball this season, what, what do you? how do you feel about the SEC coming away and hoisting that trophy again?
6: Well, I said I felt good about the SEC's chances to get multiple teams in, but I didn't bank on, you know, four of them playing each other. So, you know, I think uh, think it was Peter Burns or somebody tweeted out last night that said the good news is is the SEC is guaranteed to get at least two teams to Omaha. The problem is you're going to eliminate two teams in the process, and that's like you mentioned, Kentucky going to LSU and South Carolina going to Florida. Um, again, good that it guarantees the SEC two teams, but two of them will be eliminated. Alabama, like you said, has the tall task of going, uh, of going to Wake Forest, who's the top number one overall seed. But, man, I mean, this Alabama team continues to surprise us, right? I mean, it's, you know, ever since they fired Brad and they've, they've just kind of, you know, turned, flipped the switch and said, let's, let's play uh, like we got nothing to lose. And so you never know. A, a team like that that literally has nothing to lose, Can be a dangerous team, and they've had some good pitching and and timely hitting. So uh, Alabama's got a chance, and then Tennessee. I was a little; uh, it was a little weird to see that they lost a bid to host in Knoxville to Hattiesburg to Southern Miss. Um, I know they care about their baseball there at Southern Miss, but man, I just thought a bigger brand like Tennessee would uh, would win out in a in a bid. But um, again, that's that's not a you know Southern Miss is good, but that's not a crazy. Task to ask Tennessee to go uh, go in there and beat them, and obviously Tennessee underachieved last year. They were one of the best teams in all all college baseball, and they end up losing at home in a super regional to Notre Dame. And so now an opportunity for them to kind of redeem themselves, go on the road, uh, get that chi- you know with that chi- shoulder. If if you ask me right now, I would say we're probably going to get three teams in. I would think Tennessee could pull off the, the the series with. Uh, with Southern Miss, uh, I, unfortunately, I just, uh, you know, look, I hope Alabama can go in the wake. We'll see, but uh, we'll assume they lose. And then, you know, I, I'm picking LSU to beat Kentucky, and I'm picking uh, Florida to, to beat South Carolina, although I could be talked into a South Carolina upset down there in Gainesville. So I think we get three teams in. We'll see what, what plays out this weekend. But, like I said, kind of unfortunate that they paired a couple SEC teams together, and uh, unfortunately we'll knock
2: each other out. Talking to Chris Gordy, Locked On, SEC. We talk to him every Tuesday at this time. Chris, we spent some time debating as to whether Alabama got underseeded. Ultimately, obviously, they go 3-0 and in their regional, win all three games at the Joe and are able to advance the super regionals, but what's their, what's their treat for that? Oh, they get to go to Winston Salem and take on a wake forest team that really just made a joke out of their regional. Uh, what realistic chances do you give Alabama to go into Winston Salem and even give wake forest a fight? Well, like
6: I said, they're going to be pretty heavy underdogs, but uh, again, like they have played inspired baseball here in these last couple of weeks. And, uh, You know, again, like if you went back and asked me, I think I was all with you guys the week Brad Bohannock got fired. It felt like, all right, let's see if we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and and go try to salvage the season. Uh, And they got hot. I mean, they started winning series after series and and playing great. And and again, their pitching has stepped up. So, um, look, it's baseball. I mean, all you got to do is find a way to win two games and, uh, you know, steal one of their first two. You got a chance. And, and I know Wake has been one of those teams that's been so good all year in the ACC. But, you know, don't forget, they were behind LSU for much of the season. And, uh, you know, LSU lost a couple games down the stretch and Wake jumped ahead of them. Um, you know, it's not like they're, they're unbeatable. So, uh, they has got a chance. Not a big chance. I mean, they're, they're going to be pretty heavy underdogs. But, uh, again, anything can happen in baseball. Any team can beat anybody. So, um, we'll see
1: that's the great thing about this tournament i mean and, and the thing is you you can lose that first game and you're still gonna have a swinging chance to find your way back into it unlike the ncaa tournament to where you're one and done you you don't get an opportunity to redeem yourself you know in the regular season you can get run ruled in baseball but here's a, a chance in the ncaa tournament to where like you mentioned anything and everything can happen and as we transition from from baseball over to to what occurred in Destin not really any shocking news I think there was disappointment by some that that there was no nine game conference schedule announced but pretty much the same sticking through into 2024 along with the additional fines for storming the field and and Again, I don't think any athletic department has a problem paying the fines, but were there any really issues that went on in Destin that weren't touched or addressed, or was it the 8-9 game schedule that was the biggest problem?
6: Yeah, the 8-9 the, the game schedule to me was the biggest order of business to work out, and I, I just don't know what happened because along the way, they had had discussions, right? I mean, in recent months, and, and as recent as I want to say January, February, Greg Senke even talked publicly about, you know, yeah, we we like the idea of a nine-game schedule. We even heard, remember, Brian Kelly was doing an interview and slipped up and basically said, oh, yeah, I think our three permanent opponents are going to be A&M, Alabama, and and, um, I forget what the the other one was for LSU. We had coaches, like, literally saying what was agreed to. I think even Ross Bjork at A&M was like, yeah, I think we're going to get LSU and Texas and Arkansas. So, like, it had been talked about so much that, people were literally, like, flipping up and leaking out information. And so I think it was just kind of like, it was decided. We were going to nine games. It made sense. The biggest issue that uh, Greg Sankey said every year to me at SEC Media Days was, you know, going too long with with opponents not visiting other teams in the conference. We're going to call ourselves a conference, yet A&M has been in the freaking SEC for over a decade, and Georgia's never been to Kyle Field. Like, we need to fix that. Bama, you know, goes to Gainesville once every decade. LSU goes to Lexington, Kentucky, once every decade. So I, I think that's one of the biggest things. If you want to call yourself a conference and you're going to expand and go to, add two more teams that go to 16, yeah, you've got to level the playing field a little bit. you got to play another conference game. And for them to decide to stick to eight, I think it was twofold. Uh, one was a scare factor. I think a lot of teams, that, if you go look at the 2024 non-conference schedule right now, there are a lot of SEC teams playing some big dogs. Texas A&M plays Notre Dame. Alabama goes to Wisconsin. LSU opens with USC. I mean, there are a lot of big-time non-conference games, and I think some of the schools, and I think it was more like the Kentuckys, the South Carolinas, the Ole Misses, the, those middle-of-the-pack schools said, God, that's going to be really brutal on us. If we got to play a really tough non-conference you know, marquee game and play non-conference schedules, that means we only get... Two, you know, two cupcakes on our schedule. I think some of the coaches and some of the ads were afraid of that. And, and I think ultimately, when it came down to a vote, they just said, uh, eh, let's stick with it one more year. We'll, we'll figure out the rest down the road." Um, the other part of it is the money, guys. And the SEC knew that their their TV deal with CBS was up following the 2023 season, so they started shopping it around. They came to an agreement with Disney. And hey, Greg Sankey signed off on it. Uh, for the next decade, they will get a check for $300 million a season from Disney Corporation to put their games on ESPN, ABC, and the SEC Network exclusively. Uh, I think that adds up to, what, $3 billion over over a decade. But there was no hindsight in there by Greg Sankey and the SEC to put a clause in there to say, hey, you know, if we ever expand, with all this talk <laughs> of maybe conference expansion, if we ever expand and want to go to nine games, uh, we get more money. That was never put in there and thus, You know, here we are. The, the SEC says, uh, hey, if we go from eight to nine games, would you pay us more money? And he's like, no, we've got an agreement here. So I think that's the that's the overwhelming biggest part of this was the school saying we're not going to play an extra conference game if we're not getting compensated for it. So uh, Paul Feinbaum said yesterday, it's, it looks like, you know, 2025 is still in play. Uh, I expect that, you know, should be on the table we'll see if it happens the only thing I don't like guys is you know, let talk of playing eight games and we're only gonna have one permanent rival um you know we're just we're we're gonna lose some of our secondary rivals uh, I saw today there's a report Brad Crawford from 24-7 sports said Alabama may not play Tennessee in 2024 and I'm just like this is so stupid we're literally gonna lose some of the, the SEC's most important rivalries all because we couldn't you know we couldn't figure out uh, get in a room to figure all this stuff out
1: You know, Commissioner Sankey has taken a big pat on the back for how he's handled the SEC, especially during the COVID time. And and this will be one that I think he'll ultimately go back and and kick his own self in the rear end and, and regret the fact that his lawyers, he didn't catch the fact that during expansion, especially with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the fold, that there could be a possibility of, conferences changing and and with that being said chris i I think that the sec again is the premier conference in the country across the board you can pick a sport and and you'll see the dominance by the sec chris but divisionless football if you're not going to have an opportunity to play those nine games do you like division divisionless football
6: yeah, I do. Um, you know, look, there have been years where, um, you know, LSU, for instance, this year they they went a nice week, but they beat Alabama head to head, so they, you know, won the SEC West. Uh, whereas Tennessee had ten wins. I, I I need to go back and look at exactly how it played out, but I want to say it would have been, you know, the the SEC championship game this year could have been a rematch of of Georgia versus Tennessee. Um, it makes sense. Just give it to the two best. Teams, You know, we do lose lose a little bit of the pageantry with SEC West Pride and SEC East and all that, but it makes sense. You know, if we're going to play a conference championship and we've got 16 teams, the two teams with the best records in conference are going to play for the title. Now, there's going to be a big issue with tiebreakers. You know, I, I, I don't know how you figure that out because, you know, somebody was like, oh, you just go head-to-head. Well, you can't go just head-to-head because not everybody's playing everybody. You know, some people are going to have softer – schedules than others and and that's what I'm really fascinated to see how the SEC is going to figure this out they say there's a formula they're going to use based on the last decade and all this kind of stuff but somebody's going to get somebody's going to get screwed over and somebody's going to get a gift you know when it comes to scheduling and you know we'll see I mean I, I could easily see a world where Alabama you know ends up getting LSU a road trip at Austin maybe even a road trip to Norman, Oklahoma a trip to the swamp, whereas Georgia maybe gets, oh, at Vandy, at South Carolina, at Arkansas. You know, I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. You've got 16 teams. There's no way to make it fully fair where you're saying you're only going to preserve one, you know, rivalry game per team. So, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. But, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, the, the purest in me doesn't like saying goodbye to the SEC East and SEC West, but it does make sense to, to have the two best teams with the two best records in Conference play for the
2: championship. Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. Chris, were you surprised at the lack of developments from uh, the spring meetings? I mean, it felt like maybe we were on the precipice of of something big. And I guess, like, divisionless football ultimately is a development, but just kind of the lack of a final decision being made and kicking the can down the road. It it felt like that was inevitable, no?
6: Yeah, it it did. To answer your question, like, the fact that they spent so much time last week discussing – Oh, this storm in the field, this is a big problem. It's like, come on, guys, like, is it really? And then the the, the answer, the the problem, they think is to, we're going to, not only are we going to fine you, but we're going to give that money to the team you just beat. And I think most SEC fans are going, so? Like, I don't care. Like, you know, like Tennessee beat Alabama last year. They go, hey, we're going to fine you guys uh, half a million dollars, and it's going to Alabama. Okay, we don't care. We just beat them. Like, that's what I think is kind of silly. Like, they can't figure out the right punishment for, um, you know, to prevent fans from storming the field. I just think in the SEC when you've got a big underdog and they pull off an upset, the fans are going to rush. I mean, unless you get, you know, 250 cops out there to put people in a chokehold, I don't know how you're going to prevent people from storming the field. So... Look, again, I don't know why they spent so much time on that. I think they could have spent more time on discussing, you know, NIL, the transfer portal, which continue to be big focus points. But all the sitting-in rooms and meetings and discussions last week, they came out of it. It did not sound like they've come to any kind of agreement or headway on how to police NIL and how to police, you know, the transfer portal and tampering and all that. We heard every coach say the word tampering last week, but it seemed like nobody really had any real solutions on how to fix anything.
1: Speaking with Chris Gordy, locked on SEC host, and Chris, you know, I always appreciate your your SEC knowledge, but I know you're a big baseball guy as well, and you know, today and really breaking news. I know you love the Astros, and and the Astros are are, are nipping at the heels of the red hot Texas Rangers, but the Rangers are now without Jacob Degrom, and he's out and will undergo Tommy John surgery. So I know that has to make you a little bit, breathe a little bit easier, knowing that the Astros can close the gap on the Rangers.
6: Well, it, it is. And and again, the Rangers have been doing it with their offense. I mean, the, the, the series against the Mariners this past week, I think they put up double-digit runs in almost every game. Um, but I do think, like, at a bigger scale of things, guys, I think this is going to cause some teams to pump the brakes when it comes to, the massive deals for pitchers. I still think position players are going to get the eight, nine, ten year contracts like, you know, Aaron Judge and you know, all the guys with the Braves, you know, any any young guy you want to lock up for a long time. I think those guys will still get those contracts. But I wonder if there's going to be some teams that will pump the brakes on giving out a five year, six year monster contract to a pitcher because so many like Tommy John is just so prevalent now. And the problem with it is or the good thing is with Tommy John, it seems like guys can bounce back from it and be just as effective. But man, the, the, the time out, you know, it's, it's not just the rest of the season. The going to miss. It's going to miss half of next year because of the recovery time. Uh, The Astros lost one of their big time pitchers, Luis Garcia, Uh, you know, came out a few weeks ago. He's got to have Tommy John. And so, you know, they won't get him back until the middle of next year. It's just, it takes you out for a long time. And so I, I wonder if some of these Major League Baseball teams will pump the brakes on some of these pitchers and, and locking them up for five, six year deals. Maybe just saying, look, why don't we do two or three year deals at a high dollar figure just in case? Because, uh, again, arm injuries in, in this sport, they're becoming more and more prevalent. And it just seems like that amount of time you miss is just it's catastrophic.
1: It really is. And what's not catastrophic is your coverage of the SEC, Chris. How can people catch all of your great Southeastern Conference coverage?
6: Yeah, well, my wife might say it's catastrophic time to time. But uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcast. We're on YouTube. And uh, we had a great conversation on Monday's episode with Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports. He was down at the Destin meeting and uh, kind of give us a behind-the-scenes glimpse on how it all went down. So I encourage you guys to check that out. And we'll have some more special guests join us along the way. We'll be down at SEC Media Days in a couple weeks. We always have a player on from every school, so uh, make sure you're checking it out. Watch on SEC.
1: Chris, look forward to catching up with you at SEC Media Days as the final drive will be there on Radio Row as well, and look forward to talking to you again next week. Perfect, guys. Talk to you then. Chris Gordy joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We'll be right back.
4: This is CJ Mosley, inside linebacker, and you're listening to the Sports Station, WNSP 105.5.
1: The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and Want to thank Chris Gordy for jumping on with this. And you know, when I was growing up, my favorite video game by far was was Madden. I I loved Madden. And it was one of those to where you, you heard about the Madden curse. And it was called a Madden curse because every time you were on the cover, the very next year, either you got hurt or your team was horrible. So, it, it, it makes you wonder. Should the NFL decide to go with DeMar Hamlin, who has cardiac arrest on the football field and is back today Come at OTAs on. with Come the helmet on. on just to show signs of, hey, look, anything is possible and, and to believe in, Come in comebacks. On. Or do you decide to go with joe burrow do you decide to go with josh allen who is the cover boy for madden 24 uh you
2: know there's a lot of good options i i saw the rg3 tweet about Demar hamlin which was uh an idea <laughs> that was definitely an idea from rg3 not sure uh yeah. you know that that'd be something that'd be some uh you know it'd be it'd be something i'll i'll leave it at that but yeah josh allen is it would certainly be a would certainly be a good choice joe burrow uh, i mean there there's a lot of jay you put jalen hurts on the cover you, there's a ton of
1: guys in
2: I, that I'm direction jalen hurts
1: yeah that'd be cool i'm pro jalen hurts and, and I, I i'll you know with what he was able to accomplish and it didn't last long, as far as signing the the richest deal in NFL history, and definitely from a quarterback position, Jalen Hurts would be a great addition to the to the man cover. Yeah, I would like
2: that. I would, you you want a uh, marketable athlete that uh, that that kids like and and you know make you. I I don't know. I. Do you think anyone buys the Ma- is more likely to buy Madden because such and such athlete is on the cover? Like I don't, no. I don't think so. No. Like if you're gonna buy Madden, you're gonna buy Madden either way. Uh, so like yeah, I don't think like a, a young Eagles fan is gonna be like, oh Jalen Hurts is on the cover, like I have to get Madden now. Uh, you know I think if you're gonna buy Madden, you're gonna buy Madden. Uh, those days are a little bit behind me. I used to get Madden every year, but you know, then they started releasing the same game year after year after year. I haven't bought a new Madden since whew, probably Madden twenty, something like that. <laughs> I think with uh, with Mahomes on the cover, I played it a lot, got a lot of use out of it during quarantine, especially. But uh, yeah, I, it doesn't really make that much of a difference difference to me. I'd love to see uh, Josh Allen fall victim to the Madden curse. Not that I'm wishing injury on him or anything like that, but I'd love to see the Bills not be very good this year. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I just know that when you go back and you look at putting players on the cover of Madden and the Madden Curse being real up until it is broken again, Patrick Mahomes, he said, "Nah, Lee, I'm good with the. You can put me on the cover, and what, I'm still." What's the best going to example a of the Madden Curse? AB on Madden 19, <laughs> maybe. Uh, Yeah, that's a a good...
2: Before he lost his mind?
1: Man, I mean, absolutely bonkers, Mm. A.B. But, I mean, he he made the cover, which means he was doing something right from a production standpoint. He's the best receiver in the league for a long time. But, you know, when Madden used to be on the cover, and, of course, after his death, you go back with him on the cover, uh, picking a different player every single year, you know through Madden 2000 when you when you had Eddie George on the cover of Madden 01 and of course Cole Pepper in 02 Vic in 04 Donovan McNabb in 06 you see the the trend with quarterbacks there Favre in 09 Drew Brees in 11 so you do have some great quarterbacks that have been on the cover including I think the uh, Tom Brady, yeah. I think the best
2: Madden curse is probably, probably got to be Peyton Hillis on Madden 12. <laughs> he had one good year for the Browns and then, uh, and then never really now, did anything you, again.
1: You just you he never he never was able to recover. Yeah, and, so. and that I mean that was real. That that curse part was real in regards to to having him on there. But I, I think that Jalen Hurts would be. A great representation for everything he was able to accomplish. And I'd like
2: to see Jalen Hurts on a cover of Matt. There's, there's, I mean, Mahomes already been on one. So there's a lot of guys who are deserving. Hurts certainly up there. Josh Allen certainly up there. Justin Herbert certainly up there. There, There's a ton of guys. I don't know about Herbert.
1: I I don't know about Herbert. You let him get to a Super Bowl win or lose, and and now we're talking business. Burrow is one that I think has a strong possibility as well i guess it depends on what your
2: definition of being on the cover of madden because sure burrow has or herbert hasn't had any playoff success that being said i do think justin herbert is better than joe burrow so you know uh maybe not better than joe burrow i certainly bet he's certainly like a top three four five quarterback in the league so you know uh it, i guess that doesn't necessarily earn you madden covers though
1: well you, you have to ask yourself what really does because do you, you ask the audience, the listen audience, would you want to see, does it matter who is on the cover for duplicate cover reasons? Mm. Can can you put an entire team on the cover of Madden? Because that's something that you normally do not and have not seen. It's just that individual. So would that drive you or strive you to want to play with a particular team if you saw a an entire team, and and why not just go and honor the past year's Super Bowl team? Yeah, and that way, even though moving forward you may have a different roster, you still may have a player that's in a different uniform at the end of a year because that's what's happened. Also, so I mean, thoughts about the Madden cover and who should be on it and who should not be on it, that's you know that's up for debate. But I know this much. To me, if I'm in Madden twenty three and, and I'm a I'm a marketing guy, I wanna say Jalen Hurts because he he's really said and done all the right things that will make your game continue to be one of the greatest of all time. The final drive here on WNSP one oh five point five will return right after this.
5: Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP
1: 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. For the Bounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And of course, we have posed the question. Because of NIL and the way that it has changed the landscape of collegiate athletics, Nick Saban, along with his athletic director and the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference and other coaches will be heading and are in Washington, D.C. to speak and seek help from Congress in managing name, image, and likeness and to being compensated as an athlete of course in 2021 you you had a situation where you could start paying these these athletes now do i think that this is a situation because it's on a state by state basis what is the answer and according to the goat Nick Saban when he goes before congress and legislators of different states Nick Saban's quote is, with states having different laws, I think the only way is to have some federal legislation that controls and makes it the same for everybody, ending quote, for Nick Saban. Now, whether you agree or disagree, states right now, like I say, you've got the toothpaste out of the tube. Every state is different from a high school amateurism standpoint to a collegiate amateurism standpoint. But these athletes are getting paid. I know Angel Reese from LSU. She's clearing over $2 million in NIL money after winning that national championship at LSU. A woman's basketball player, over $2 million in NIL money. I guarantee the starting quarterback at LSU is not making that kind of money. By you, Barbie, getting paid, but Nick Saban, he said he he wants to make sure in all states it's the sh- it's the same. Now, Michael, should politicians is this the right answer? Making the trip to Washington D.C. trying to find this legislation across the state because to me it should have happened prior to NIL even coming out. There should have been legislation. Now that it is out, and you're trying to reverse. Footing—that's hard to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, this has kind of been the thing the whole time. It's like, oh, toothpaste out of the tube, and there's no regulations on the whole thing. It's a little bit out of control, and it wasn't intended to be used as a recruiting tool, but obviously, it is being used as a recruiting tool. I asked Jimbo Fisher about that; he might get a little bit offended, but uh, you know, he knows deep down that, of course, A and M is using it as a recruiting tool, and I'm not even arguing necessarily that it shouldn't be, but there certainly should be a cap on what you're able to spend that way teams aren't outspending the other and and it's not a uh, you know Nick Saban has kind of always warned about the uh the rich getting richer and 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 that kind of being the big issue there uh with NIL so yeah i mean uh, i'm yeah, obviously i'm not going to sit here and say like i'm for government getting involved in in collegiate athletics but there's i, I mean there needs to be some sort of regulation put on it so i, I don't know what else the solution would be
1: College sports leaders seeking help from Congress. How often do you hear that?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the headline, isn't it?
1: I, I, I mean, it's a headline that you don't, in regards to athletes making money off of their own name, image, and likeness. Because whether you like it or you don't like it, it it's not going anywhere. You're not going to be able to take it away from these athletes. And I think it's only right that athletes are compensated for their own name, image, and likeness because I would hate to see a jersey being sold with my name on the back and not get any compensation for it because that's what athletes... I would hate to see as a former athlete. I know that's why you had the old Bannon case who really started this whole thing with the NCAA. It's a situation to where... Congress getting involved, now what are they going to do? How are they going to help these states legislate and walk it back? Because if you cap it, what what are you going to say? In all 50 states, this is all you can make out of name, image, and likeness? Yeah. Is, y- I, I mean, don't
2: know, because like, it, it feels wrong to sit here and say there should be a cap on what these athletes are able to make on their own name, because like, if you're a super marketable athlete – you know, why shouldn't you be able to make 10 figures off of, uh, or not 10 (laughs) figures, 10 figures. Uh, Why shouldn't you be able to make seven and eight figures like, uh, you know, a, a Joe Burrow in 2019, for example, would have been probably the most marketable college athlete in the last decade. So like, why should I sit here and say Joe Burrow shouldn't be allowed to capitalize on all those Burrow B-U-R-R-E-A-U-X jerseys that they sold in the LSU bookstore? Like, why shouldn't he be able to? He should. Re- like, so uh, it's hard for me. To, it, it, it's really a two-sided coin. It's hard for me to sit here and say, like, this needs to be gotten under control. And, you know, these a- the, like there needs to be a cap on, on what athletes can make. I, I think there needs to be a cap on what schools are able to do and what schools are able to spend to maybe get it unified and make it a level playing field but at the same time that also breeds like okay well there's definitely at that point a ceiling that the athletes are able to reach and the ones who are super marketable probably reach it fairly easily and at that point well that's not very fair is it so i i don't know man i
1: i really don't have the answer to this question well i think that when you start having you know it's known what you're making so when you have, a, when it comes down to tax ta- time, Uncle Sam's going to get his fair share. Yeah. And taking a, a fair share of, like you said, Angel Reese at LSU, if she's making $2 million in endorsement deals, you know you know the federal government's going to come across and get their fair share. Yeah, I mean, that's, so, that's a separate issue, but... I understand that part of it. Yeah. Taxes on NIL, but
2: the... Fact that that sucks. that part I care about less. Like, yeah, if you're making two million dollars, it's gonna get taxed. Same, same as like mine or your paycheck at the end of the week gets taxed. Like, taxes are real, uh, an annoying reality, but a reality. So, you know, that's uh, just something you deal with as as someone who makes a living in America. That just is what it is. So, uh, that I, th- I see that as less of an issue than uh, you know schools outspending one another and competing with each other and for recruiting. That's where
1: I think it lies. You know. Is to to what you're allowed, and how much you're allowed to spend. Because, to me, you can't put a value on Bryce Young, the starting quarterback at Alabama, yeah. versus the starting center or the starting punter at Alabama. You, you, you can't do that because the, the value – is not going to be the same. Well, that's why Nick Saban is kind of at this point
2: even advocating for all right. Well, like it's it's pretty much this already. Like why don't we just unionize and make them employees and pay them a salary? Because like I understand the hesitation to do that because it's the full you know d- uh, deletion of amateurism in college athletics but like it's not amateurism anyway so no. so why why amateurism not ju- is gone. like it's already dead so why not just really like hammer down and kill it and and make these make these people employees because that's effectively what they are anyway the the college athlete does not live the life of a normal college student it's a full-time job being a college athlete so you know like i i'm i'm not against the idea of a of a salary for a college athlete I, I don't think that's crazy at all i just think that you know when when uh, you know it's the type of situation where when NIL was instituted, it's not supposed to be coming from the school like you know Jimbo Fisher says. You're going to get this much from, the, you know, it's supposed to it maybe a local business in College Station says, well, if you come here, we'll uh, do an ad campaign that's going to land you X amount of money. So that's one thing, but it certainly isn't being used that way, is it? It's, it's being used as come to Texas A&M and you're, you're going to get this bit. We have this big of an NIL package built around you. And that's certainly not how it should be.
1: Unionization is the key word that Nick Saban is pushing for. Should student-athletes be considered employees? Should student-athletes that are are marketable and are being paid by whomever the entity is, should, should unionization take place in collegiate athletics? Because I'm a true believer that amateurism is gone. And yeah. I, I will say that when nil started to come to the table i would much rather you pay me on top of the table than underneath the table yeah. because that's when well let's face facts like there's been paid there's
2: being people been paid under the table for longer than you or i have been alive so you know oh, it, no, no
1: question about that so
2: uh you know it's not like it hasn't been happening already now it's over but the table
1: and when it's on top of the table and and you have a deal when you have an endorsement deal whether it's With beats by Dre or or whomever the car company is, you used to or whoever the suit company is used to you. You're you're looking at possibly horrible sanctions by the NCAA. I'm not going to say the death penalty, but I will say the fact that you're losing scholarships. You're losing not only scholarships, you're losing an opportunity to possibly playing bowl games, all because you accepted cash money or you accepted a deal outside of that. That's, why, that's one of the positive things about NIL that I do like and, and the fact that athletes are able to be compensated because I don't like the fact that athletes that had nothing to do with sanctions against a university, a player could be gone. And that university has to pay the price for someone else. So, you know, Nick Saban and and the, the commissioner of the SEC going to Washington to push. Everybody just has to be on the same page. And yeah. I don't think we're going to get there.
2: Yeah, the NCAA as a organization with power, again, what
1: know, it, it, it's dead
2: already. So so why not fully kind of just, uh, you know, push them to the side?
1: Uh, and yeah, it's yeah. the NTA does have a new president, and that's probably one of the best things it has going for them. But as far as them continuing to have power, no, Th- those days, those days are gone. It's over. What is a violation and what is not a violation? I, I don't, I don't think anyone could tell you. Now, as far as gambling is concerned, yeah, but that's a whole different story. That has nothing to do with name, image, and likeness. But the NCAA legislates as it sees fit and is it fair no favor ain't fair either but at the same time we'll see what Nick Saban has to say tomorrow and who he's going to be speaking with along with these other coaches and athletic directors who are joining him on this trip to Washington about NIL deals the final drive will be right back
6: Hey, this is Adair Gonzalez, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP.
1: The final drive on WNSP 105.5. South Alabama Athletic Director Joe Erdman was on with us this past Friday, and he was mentioning the fact that South Alabama would probably have an opportunity to win the boobus Cup, which it means that South Alabama is the Sunbelt Conference all sports champion. And for the second time in three years, South Alabama has been able to accomplish that. And there are or is a scoring system in all athletics that are there. But for South Alabama to go ahead and win that Vic Boobis Cup. It's a tremendous accomplishment because it means that across the board, South Alabama's athletics program is being recognized by, for the student athletes, the coaches, and really Dr. Erdman as well from an athletic director leadership standpoint. So that, that's, that's impressive that they're able to be considered one of or the best team overall in the Sun Belt Conference and again being one of those initial members of the Sun Belt Conference it, it it means more to the South Alabama Jaguar program. Go Jags, Booba's Cup Dynasty. Yeah, I mean that's how you can look at it. When you start looking at where they were and what they've been able to accomplish South Florida uh, or Jacksonville in 1977 was the first, and South Alabama being the latest. And I know we do have a caller on the line. Uh, Michael? We'll go out to Chuck real quick. Chuck, real quick. we
2: only got about a minute left. All right.
7: Hey, uh, Corey, uh, I'm just curious. You remember back in April of 2015, that was when the National Labor Relations Board ruled that uh, the Northwestern football team couldn't unionize. Uh, they, they had filed a petition to unionize because they considered themselves employees at Northwestern University, and they wanted the appropriate uh, perks and benefits to go with being an employee. My question is, now what we're saying is, apparently, is we want to consider them as employees, or at least that's what I'm getting from this treatment to going to before Congress. So, uh I'm wondering uh, what kind of reversal we're looking at or if they even reconsider opening that box again. So I'll hang up and Listen, to, do you remember that at all, though? Yeah, I do. Back in the, they were led by their quarterback, I think, who wanted to do that.
1: Chuck, I, I think – where you thank you for your call and for tuning in and listening as well. I think what you're doing is it's just like the Ed O'Bannon initial case for name, image, and likeness when he saw himself on a video game and wanted to be compensated. I think you're opening Pandora's box to unionization. Now, amateur athletics, even though in air quotes it still exists, I I just don't see a way to where times change because even with this PGA and live golf situation with the commissioner stating that times do change and that's why he wanted to go ahead and, and have three unions under one umbrella i think that ncaa time changes and maybe money and <laughs> the ncaa is going to be a dinosaur uh, it's it's not going to be the ncaa for Jay much Monahan's longer
2: so full of it man
1: and it's because of that chuck i, I think you're going to find a way to where as for now name image and likeness is going to hold on to what you have but compensation being formed in a different way by congress whether we like it or not is coming It's coming. They're going to get involved in it. Politics and athletics are going to be intertwined. The final drive, hour number three, coming up here on WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to our number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty along with my producer Michael Brauner, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And you know, college basketball, March Madness, watched by billions of people. And it's really my favorite time of the year when March Madness comes around. But college basketball madness. Goes on year-round. And for our next guest, John Fanta, he is covers college basketball on Fox and host of the Big shoot around. And when you look at John, when you look at college basketball during the offseason, there's no shortage of stories, especially as the NBA draft approaches and you have a lot of teams who had names in the draft that – submitted themselves back into school and are coming back to try to win a national championship. There's no question about
3: that, and it's great to be with you guys, but obviously uh, that that is is the case uh, with Zach Eadie, the reigning national player of the year. For college basketball to go close to 15 years, that's right, it was since Tyler Hansborough for North Carolina right around 2008, decided to come back to the Tar Heels after winning National Player of the Year. For us to go well over a decade until Oscar Chibre runs it back following winning the award, and now Zach Eady, after he won the award, coming back to Purdue, that tells you the power of name, image, and likeness. It tells you the power of staying in the college game. Of course, there's there's the element of traditional bigs and how the college game is better for the traditional big, whereas the NBA path is just harder with the way today's game is, but look, it's, it's a reflection on, on the sport and we are seeing major, major returning players uh, decide to come back to school because there's value in coming back to school more so than just going back to college and playing the college game, but you can help grow your stock and you can make money while doing it
1: And that's what's great, making money while doing it. I know we have coaches going to Washington now to talk about name, image, and likeness. But in in collegiate basketball, when you start looking at the favorites moving into 23-24, I think out of all of the teams coming back next year, Tom Izzo and the Michigan State Spartans are going to find themselves looking to to cut down the Nets once again? No question. It is those best remaining shot
3: to win a national championship. And if you remember, he's the guy that last won a national title for the Big Ten. So how fitting would it be if he's the one who ends their title drought? And They have not won a championship since 2000. But Tom at 68 now has a team that is absolutely stacked. Michigan State will have their entire starting backcourt back. You're talking about Tyson Walker, who was a cold blooded shot maker. As last season went on, he became their guy. A.J. Hogarth, amazing at distributing the basketball. Jaden Akins, who emerged as a real parkourist for the Spartans last season. Their starting foreman, Malik Hall, he's got to stay healthy, but if he does, he's a Swiss Army knife. Oh, by the way, Michigan State brings in a top flight recruiting class. The Spartans will have one of the best recruiting classes in the country and they are in a position with Xavier Booker coming in a five-star center he's going to come into this program and play a major role Jeremy Sears is a freshman who should also serve a role as well Cohen Carr Tom is a mixture of experience he's got the highly touted recruiting class and Michigan State should be a preseason top five team in the country the question is will they be better Then Purdue, or will they be second in the Big Ten? But the Big Ten should have two of the top five teams, and the Spartans have as much a shot as anybody. Kansas and Duke are the other teams that are right there with them, but those teams are firmly in the mix to win the national title, and there's no question about this. Michigan State has got as good of a coach as anybody.
2: Talking to John Fanta, our guest this afternoon, college basketball on Fox, Big E shoot-around commentary on the field of 68. John, I'll ask you about Alabama specifically in just a minute, but I do want to ask you just the transfer portal in general. It's changed everything, really, to the fact that, you know, we're on a radio station down here in Mobile, Alabama, and we're talking about the college basketball offseason in in June. I mean, it's just not something you would have fathomed even three or four years ago. So, like, just how have you seen – the offseason of college basketball evolve over the past two years or so?
3: Well, I'll look at it from this perspective, guys. I mean, look at it from Alabama's perspective in Tuscaloosa. I mean, Nate Oates was able to bring in Mark Sears, who has become such a steady presence for him in his backcourt. I mean, Sears will come back Alabama for another season. He'll help run the backcourt. Javon Quinterly, uh, back as well, and they go in the portal. They bring in a kid from Hofstra. His name is Aaron Estrada, and he should be spectacular, and he was the best player in his conference, the Colonial Athletic Association. But by the same token, Alabama loses Charles Bediaco in surprising fact in the NBA draft, and they lose Noah Clowney. We thought that they would, but Bediaco was a bit of a surprise. Here's my point. There are so many different avenues now for players so many and nil throws a decision-making timeline to yeah guys are waiting until the 11th hour to make their choice and that's leading to drama in the college basketball off season so it, it, it is totally changing the sport i can tell you guys right now it's the first week of june and i just wrapped up a, an early top 25 for next season and uh, you know, I had to spend a lot of time on it because so much has changed in the last month that, yeah, it took me a couple of days to fully hash out and, and know and understand everybody because I'm not just going to put something together that, that, that's a uh, uh, half-effort, but it does. It, as I was going through it, it's like, whoa, there's this roster that's changed. Whoa, I thought Illinois would be down. Oh, no, Terrence Shannon and Coleman Hawkins are coming back. You're getting these decision deadlines like we had May 31st where... Some guys didn't tell us if they were coming back to school or not until 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, minutes before the eleven fifty-nine deadline hit. So it's fascinating. It's phenomenal for the sport. Obviously, college football is king. But basketball has increased in interest. And coming off the year it had where you had such a wild NCAA tournament from Dickinson knocking off Purdue to Princeton, taking down and shocking arizona it just goes to show you the parody in this sport is rich and guys honestly that offers a nice refreshment in the world of sports where a lot of times the heavyweight is rolling nowadays in college hoops anything can really happen so if you appreciate the random march madness we're, we're seeing all time levels of madness and a lot of it has to do with the amount of roster changes and the amount of fluidity in the off season That we're in June right now, and there's still daily college hoops roster changes three months removed
2: from the season. Yeah, you alluded to it a little bit there. Down here, we were certainly caught by surprise by Charles Bidiaco electing to stay in the NBA draft. I think Alabama, you know, you brought up Estrada. They bring in Latrell Reitzel as well. I, I think Alabama's in a really good spot in the backcourt. The front court, obviously, a bit more of a question. Nick Pringle returns now. And now the question becomes, with the transfer portal, it appears Grant Nelson's going to be taking a visit, a guy you're very familiar with, and Arthur Columa out of Creighton, maybe be taking a visit they're in a battle for jaron stevenson with unc i mean where do, where do you see alabama landing a, a, a when it's all said and done this off season? because it feels like there are pieces out there that can put them in a spot to be really competitive again in the sec but they're not quite there right now yeah they're
3: they're not they're not quite there right now and obviously that was a, a pretty seismic blow to lose that because it puts your front court in a difficult spot. And, of course, you're, you're losing the best college prospect in his draft class in Brandon Miller. Uh, that does not help either. But uh, I think Alabama's going to get, you know, one of these these top-tier recruits that's still available. Grant Nelson, uh, obviously, is the name that, that comes to mind. With Alabama and Arkansas firmly in the mix, I think Alabama could offer Nelson more uh, because Arkansas has loaded up their roster, guys, Eric Musselman's very good at building on a roster, but I think there's more opportunity for Nelson to step in in Alabama. And, and for those who don't know, uh, Grant Nelson would be a big con get for the Crimson Tide. You're talking about someone who, at six foot eleven, can score the ball three levels, eighteen points per game, over nine rebounds per game. He's a high, high level talent. So I, I look at him and I say, yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about this kid. You know, they're, they're, they're in the mix. They're in the mix for a couple of guys. Um, you know, Arthur Kaluma, as you mentioned, is another guy that's interesting that transfers from Creighton six foot seven incredibly versatile uh a really dynamic player and a guy that that you know if he does transfer to alabama he'd have to go back to omaha and play creighton next season uh because those two teams have scheduled a home and home agreement so you know kaluma is a, is a big time player that for me he, he's got you know the great post moves uh, a good playmaker an offensive game that I think will continue to grow and you know last year he had a a, a 24 and 12 game against Kansas I mean he's a really really solid player
1: John Fanta covers college basketball on Fox as a broadcasting reporter and of course is the host of Biggie's shoot around and you mentioned the love and the love that you have when basketball becomes Cinderella's make themselves known at the big dance. Of course, Auburn has found consistency with Bruce Pearl, making it to the final four for the first time in school history in 2019. And here it is, we're getting ready to turn the page. When the tournament starts again, it'll be 2024. But with everything that Auburn's bringing back and the addition of Holloway, the point guard, McDonald's All-American point guard, can Bruce Pearl or are the expectations in the college basketball world for Auburn not only to win the SEC as a favorite but to return back to the Final Four
3: yeah I don't know if I'm on that damn wagon um, with, with the Final Four return for Auburn this upcoming year um, I like them I think they are a team that could be top 25 worthy I, I love Holloway uh, I think Jani Broom is a high level big man uh, I really like his game. You know, I, I think that he's a player that that is one who shined in Chicago at the NBA draft combine, really impressed people, and showed that, that yeah, he's, he's going to be one of the best bigs in the SEC this upcoming year. You know, I, I think the question for Auburn will be just how great will Holloway be. Uh, Denver Jones is a transfer from Ford International If they expect you know, to come in and, and be a really good player. Um, you know, we'll see what a Chad Baker-Mazzara can do for them here this upcoming year. You know, another guy who should help them on the perimeter. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the thing is, like, this is a team that, that also, you know, says goodbye to some really good players. Uh, Wendell Green was a great player for them. Alan Flanagan was, a, was an impactful player. You know, they, they, they do lose some key pieces uh and they need jalen williams guys they need jalen williams a six foot eight forward to continue to have an upward trajectory after averaging 11 and five last year per game so i like auburn uh i don't love them but i like them i think that the when you look at the sec you know and you think about this league heading into the coming season uh there's a bit of an open door you know I, i don't know if the league uh, has a uh, top-ten team in it. So, you know, it could be Arkansas. Arkansas with Devo Davis and, and Tremont Mark and Khalif Battle. They could be a top-ten team. You know, I, I actually have them in a preseason top-ten situation in my pocket sports. Well, I love Texas A&M. You know, they bring back four or five starters. Pete Taylor the fourth is a high-level guard. Uh, but, no, Auburn could be a top-four team in the SEC, no doubt about that.
1: Well, I think one of the biggest things in you covering the Big East is a lot of people want to know, was it a fluke for the UConn Huskies this year? And Coach Hurley, will they be able to repeat as national champions? Look, they've got
3: a shot. Uh, Do I think that they will repeat? Do I think that they'll make the Final Four? To me, guys, there's too much of an unknown. Uh, with them right now. And I say that because, you know, you'll lose your three best players. Like, they lost their three best players. Jordan Hawkins is gone. Adama Sanogo's gone. Andre Jackson's gone. But to me, you know, they, they, they're not even looking like the best team in the Big East. And they might not even be the second best team in the Big East. Marquette's loaded. Marquette won 29 games last year and only loses one play. Their staff, they have Tyler Colick and Cam Jones. Uh, Creighton stacked with Ryan Kulp runner back to anchor the front court. Trey Alexander, Baylor, Shireman, big-time players. Utah's got their point guard, Tristan Newton, back. Donovan Cleese to be an All-American center if the upside pans out. Alex Caravan's a really good format. But for the Connecticut Huskies, you know, there's questions about what they'll be from the perimeter from a shooting standpoint. They lost some sharpshooters in Nahima Lean, as well as Joey Calcatella. They bring in one of the best recruiting classes in the country. Everyone wants to know, how good will Stephen Castle be? Stephen Castle is a top ten nationally ranked recruit. He's from Georgia. He's from Covington, Georgia. He is a highly touted combo guard. Solomon Ball, uh, a fellow freshman that's coming into this class. You know, these guys make up the, the nation's seventh best recruiting class. Will they pan out? And to what degree will they pan out? It's always tough to count on freshman guys. That's the one thing. Now, they're not solely counting on those freshmen. They've got a veteran point guard than Newton. They don't have a ton of depth, though. So, do I think UConn will repeat no? Are they candidate to do so? Yes, because the current climate of the sport, it's wide open.
2: John, I, last uh, last question, John Fanta, college College Basketball on Fox, our guest this afternoon. Last question I have for you. I, you brought him up a little bit, but I do want to ask you about Arkansas, and I, I guess you'd, you'd probably have to call them the favorite in the SEC right now. Eric Musselman, he he, he does interesting things. He, he certainly tends to fill out a roster more with portal guys than anything. Obviously, you brought up Trayvon Mark from Houston. You know, They bring in Keon Menfield from Washington. I don't know. It feels like this Arkansas team this past year was a team that had a ton of talent, and it just never really came together until they're able to defeat Kansas in the second round and is it going to be more of the same for Arkansas is Musselman going to kind of change up how he could like how did he it feels like he's kind of taking the same approach after really it didn't work for the whole regular season
3: yeah you know he did it the recruiting way last year with with freshmen um, and Nick and Smith dealt with an injury and that certainly impacted them uh, bringing back Devo Davis was huge you know, bringing back Debo Davis is massive for the Razorbacks because he is a steady, veteran guard who's a uh, a cold-blooded finisher down the stretch in games. Tremont Mark from Houston is a killer guy, great defender, big-time player. You know, for me, Arkansas is going to depend on will on Brazil come back healthy? If you remember, Brazil for his ACL, had a really difficult injury. How will he be in his return season? How will Bay Fall uh, be the, the four-star center? They're expecting him to come in and play a key role. But they've got a luxury of riches in their backcourt: L. El, Ellis from Louisville, Caleb Battle from Temple, uh, Mark from Houston, Keon Menafield from Washington. I expect to be a starter, high-level point guard, and, and Jeremiah Davenport, the Cincinnati transfer, should help them as well. So they've got a, a they've got a really nice core. Um, they've got Know, a, a core of players that, that really should be um, an NCAA tournament core and could be a, a Sweet 16 core. So we'll see how that exactly works, but I like this team. Um, I like them enough to say that they're a top-15 preseason team. I think last year they went the freshman route more than they did the, the returning route. Uh, and more than they did the transfer portal route even. But this year, they, they've gone all in on transfers. And I've got to be honest with you, that's how it is. That's our current climate uh, now in college basketball. And, and russellman has been very good at building rosters. He's been aggressive. We did not having the best match, but he, he's done a nice job.
1: John Fanta, I can't thank you enough for dropping your basketball nuggets here with us on the final drive in June. And, of course, all the teams that have an opportunity to, to play and travel internationally and abroad, basketball will be at the forefront as we watch these games on television in the summer as the season progresses. But, John, how can people follow all of your outstanding coverage and take a look at what you have from a college basketball standpoint? Yes, you can follow
3: me at John, J-O-H-N underscore Fanta. S-A-N-T-A. You can follow me at FoxSports.com. Field the 68 as well. And over at Big MVP on Twitter, uh, because I do, do a lot with the Big East being in the Northeast. But I cover the country for FoxSports.com and at J-O-H-N underscore. Face. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much.
1: John Fanta joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back.
5: Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP.
1: The final drive on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, as the NBA Finals heats up, literally down in Miami, getting ready for game number three. (laughs) You, You also have the NBA draft. That's right around the corner. And I know that there's definitely been a lot of talk as to where whether there's no doubt that Wimbanyama is going to go number one. The Spurs, you can go ahead and print up those jerseys right now. And the question is, who's going to go number two? And is it going to be Scoot Henderson or is it going to be our guy Brandon Miller?
2: Well, reports today, who, who is it? Kevin O'Connor, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who I actually don't know who that is. Yeah, Kevin O'Connor, NBA, uh, big-time NBA reporter, uh, is saying all indications are suggesting the Hornets are leaning towards Brandon Miller. Whether that's a smokescreen or not, who knows? I uh, do want to say real quick, big thanks to John Fanta for hopping on. That whew, that, that guy was an encyclopedia, man. That was, uh, be sure to follow his coverage on, on Twitter. Yeah, he uh, he does great stuff. But anyway, uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see, man. I, obviously, the big rumor was, is Portland going to trade down from number three? Um I don't know if Miller going two and Henderson being there at three would make them more or less inclined to trade down, or if it would make someone more inclined to try to trade up for that number three spot. It's an interesting discussion. Uh, So, you know. The you know we didn't really talk about this yesterday, but Scoot Henderson himself said the player he would most like to play with is Jason Tatum. Obviously, that's not very realistic, but let's say in a bizarro hypothetical world, uh, the Celtics trade Jalen Brown and more for the number three pick to Portland. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Scoot Henderson on the on the Celtics—that'd be pretty dang cool. Uh, I don't think that's actually going to happen. though. It's and it wasn't. There wasn't any legitimate rumor to back that either. It was just kind of people throwing out hypotheticals on Twitter. But uh,
1: yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, uh, you're going to see a lot of hypotheticals here yeah. within the next couple of weeks. It's draft season. Draft week is two weeks away from this Thursday. Yep. So it's right around the corner. The NBA Combines have been completed. The evaluations have been completed. Now it's just a matter of getting tailored up, making sure that your suit looks the best, find out what kind of jewelry you want to wear, and the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. So are you buying or selling Miller at number two?
2: what do you think you buying the rumor you selling it you know I, I think he would be a great fit well that's not what i'm asking you at two well that's not what i'm asking you he, he's a great fit it too <laughs> i i i'm not disagreeing i'm asking you if it's gonna happen or not
1: he's a great fit it too <laughs> so if he's a great master fit of two, deflection i mean what Corey do you want me to say besides he's a great fit it too i want you to tell me is it gonna happen or not to charlotte yeah Brandon Miller to Charlotte, are you believing? a
2: great fit at two. Who's picking two? Mike? Are, are you believing the reports Mike, that Brandon Miller, number two? Charlotte, is okay, picking number did two? Did I not
1: just say he's a great fit at two? Uh, so, so, yeah, so he is going number two. It, Charlotte holds that <laughs> pick. No need to trade. You you get an opportunity to get a Brandon Miller type um. wing player in the NBA and my, the GOAT is Michael Jordan.
2: Really in a way so I can't call you out if you're wrong. Hey, I'm not going to call you out if you're wrong. I'm just, you know,
1: it's it, Kevin O'Connor. It, you it, can blame it, Kevin look, O'Connor if you're the, wrong. The, the, the last time that I've been called out for being wrong was probably today. So it, it won't be the first and it won't be the last. <laughs> so as far as Brandon Miller being a number two pick, yes. Brandon Miller, a number two pick. Oh, without question. You said it. Mark it down. Number Put two. it in ink.
2: Corey said it, according Numbers to a report from milk. Kevin O'Connor. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's interesting because. I, I, as we said, kind of after the draft lottery, and, and depending on who you ask, because I had Nick Wiggins telling me there's no way that Scoot Henderson's not going number two, and then I'll look at mock drafts, and it's the consensus seems pretty varied, kind of fifty-fifty between Scoot and Miller at number two. So I think like, huh, are you are you sure about that, Nick? And then uh, he tells me there's no way, and now now I ask Nick this today, and he he he's conven- You know, you know how Nick does this. He's conveniently shifted the narrative from. There's no way on, on on God's green earth that Brandon Miller's going number two to Scoot Henderson should go number two. Two very different things. If you want to believe Scoot should go number two, fine. I'm not going to argue against you with that. I don't know enough about Scoot to argue pro-Brandon Miller over Scoot. But, you know, the initial statement was there's no chance that Brandon Miller is going number two over Scoot. Now it seems like there is a pretty good chance.
1: Well, there's nothing wrong with taking an opportunity to develop your game as far as in the G League scoot going that route and getting paid while doing it and and would have gotten paid if he had he gone to Auburn from an NIL standpoint because that's probably where he would have wound up going he he committed to G League like instead of Auburn like
2: right before kind of the NIL stuff really took off so yeah you hate that
1: for Auburn and and with that being said I, I just know what Brandon Miller showed you and you get a once in a, a a lifetime opportunity to to roll the dice on someone at number 1 like Wimbanyama, yeah. and I'm all for the Spurs. It's a no-brainer with with the Spurs at 1, at 2, the Bobcats or excuse me, the Hornets hold that the pick. Bobcats <laughs> they hold that pick and and Charlotte holds that pick for a reason now you can try to get value for it but no I, I say you go with what's available Brandon Miller is that type of player he's that dude and I think he'll be ready to respond as a rookie the final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5 hey this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world famous Harlem Globe Globetrotters and my favorite station is WNSP sports radio 105.5 FM
4: you know, the whole idea is, you know, we, we, we want to provide information based on our experience so that maybe people that are involved in Congress, House, Senate, both, you know, sort of have an idea um, of, you know, what the issues really are and how it can impact and affect college football in the future. Uh, I think we're all for players. Uh, I, I think we're all, you know, want players to have the opportunity to be able to earn things i think how does it impact competitive balance based on you know the guardrails that we have you know right now i don't think the system you know works very well from a competitive balance standpoint so we need to try to figure some kind of way where players have the opportunity to use their name image and likeness to make money nobody's trying to take that away from them but do it in a way where it doesn't create a competitive imbalance
1: Competitive balance is the key word in collegiate athletics. And if you're asking UAB's head coach, Trent Dilfer, he'll let you know there is no balance. There is no competitive balance. Because earlier this week, or late last week, Trent Dilfer talked about Alabama and Georgia and the big boys being able to go ahead and just buy their players and there being a competitive balance what Coach Saban talked about guardrails. There were no guardrails when NIL was established. That is the problem. And going before legislators and asking them to try to change the rules within the states. I think that's going to be absolutely tough to do and competitive balance. That's an interesting way to look at collegiate athletics, especially with NIA. I'm
2: glad you brought up the uh – Trent Dilfer quote I'm reading the quote right now it's really interesting I'll I'll read it to you quote if you develop a player and he's good enough to make that type of money at a program that would be perceived up from us economically for sure well as a player-centric coach isn't it my job to encourage him to take that money if he doesn't it hurts his chances of making generational wealth at the next level and there lies the kicker so yeah I mean it's almost like the crux of the issue there I mean the rich get richer and and a program like UAB who is not a program to sniff your nose at by any means, but when comparing it to the SEC, obviously, it, it just it, there's no comparison. Uh, so it, it, it's uh, it's a dilemma for sure.
1: So I, I guess when you go before legislators, as Nick Saban is about to do tomorrow, mm-hmm. the the question that he poses to them, whether they like athletics, whether they like college football or not, you don't see college baseball or college swimming or college golf coaches going before Congress and asking this. It, it's its the king. It's college football. And, and you have to have the faces that are part of a billion-dollar business, such as the SEC. And it was mentioned earlier, the numbers that ESPN is paying – the SEC to broadcast their football games or Disney, ABC moving forward here within the next 10 years. So I I think that the money, it's not a question as far as from a conference standpoint, but competitive balance and guardrails. These are two words that I think are are interesting because – what are the guardrails for the UABs or the South Alabama or or the SWAC schools that are in existence? Yeah, does I mean, it mean th- that their donors any. have to step up? Yeah, does it mean if they don't step up that are going to continue to lose ap- athletes? We will probably so. Yeah, like, and yeah. I think that the the one trend that was broke was with Deion Sanders going to a Swag school and and getting that five-star talent but making sure his son and others still have a lot of endorsement money behind him mm-hmm. when you're going to forfeit going to a power five not to say one athlete can't make all that money which they should because if you have an opportunity to choose south alabama over alabama and you do do that break into cash for your name image and
2: likeness. Yeah, I mean more power to you if that's uh if that's what you want to do.
1: But but as a young athlete, why wouldn't you want to do that? Because is it the fact that Texas A&M can offer you more money than South Alabama can from an NIL standpoint, or is it the fact that you you can get that future generational wealth when you get to the NFL? Oh, it's probably
2: a mix of both. I mean, cuz I mean, the Texas A&Ms of the world have been recruiting the elite athletes, you know, more so than the South Alabamas and UABs of the world way, way before NILs. Like, players want to play at the highest level of college football, one, just because they want to play at the highest level of college football, and two, because, well, uh, it's more likely to get them to the NFL that way. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that's an interesting way of looking at it as well, for sure.
1: Well, I'm just—tomorrow— I can't wait to hear the clips and the audio. And and I'm hoping of course Nick Saban being the face of collegiate athletics really because anytime you have the goat.
2: It's probably not a role he ever envisioned himself no, having I to go I don't speak think to he Congress. Did.
1: But I think it's one that he's going to embrace. Oh yeah. Because he feels that his stance is one that a lot of other schools are taking also but I like to look at the flip side of that. On the other side of that coin, you have athletic director at Texas A&M. Ross Bjork. Ross Bjork sitting there licking his chops like, yeah, okay. I I, I like the fact that you're getting ready to bring up our university's name in regards to recruiting because – Not a big fan of that Ross Bjork. Well, I, I tell you, you can think what you want to about him. But at the same time, whether he's the athletic director of Texas A&M or not, that that school is lacking for nothing. Yeah, they have the biggest
2: like alumni base in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so uh, obviously that's something
1: that, that was proven to us here yeah. within the last month and talking to to damian craig yeah about their alumni base yeah
2: i mean it's a massive school uh, a lot of people have gone there and a lot of people have gone on to be very successful from texas a&m but, so.
1: but it's always been the have and have nots yeah Broner, and, and it's not going to change with nil yeah it's not going to change anything because whether you again were doing it on top of the table or the bottom of the table it's always the have and have nots either you have it or you don't, or you're gonna find a way to get it. The the problem was is when you were the have nots, you found a way to get it to the players illegally and they they they, they flashed it in front of everybody yeah. when they knew that was a no no, an NCAA no no. Yeah. Taking a suit or taking a car. That was a huge no-no.
2: Signing autographs for money.
1: It was a huge no-no. Yeah. You you just couldn't do it. And now the fact that you can do it, it's always been the have and have nots. And it's going to continue to remain that way regardless of what kind of legislation is in place. We'll put the finishing touches on this Tuesday edition of the final drive coming up next.
4: Hey, this is Bucket Blakes from the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile.
1: The final segment of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5, and we started a new segment here at the end of the show. What day is it? It's always there's a national day for something. Every single day, 365 on the calendar. And, of course, most do remember today being D-Day, 75 years. Uh, And and that's fresh on a lot of people's minds. And June 6th will, will never be forgotten by this country for sure. And that's one of the biggest dates as far as June 6th is concerned. But also, Michael Brawner. You know, it gets pretty sunny here in the South. Where, Today is where
2: are you going with this one?
1: National Eyewear Day. <laughs> Different shapes and sizes of, of those specs, man. Some good Ray Bans. Are you wearing the the shades out in Mobile, Alabama sun? Yeah, I need to get a new pair.
2: Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, I, you know, what's funny. I try to really only wear sunglasses when I drive. Like, if I'm playing golf, I, I try to, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, maybe, maybe it's bad for you to not wear sunglasses. leaves you squinting more. Maybe, maybe I'll get wrinkles in my eyes if, if I don't get a new pair of sunglasses. But. I need to get a new pair of sunglasses so I can See, participate in National Eyewear Day. See, I just reminded National you, National Eyewear Day, Eyewear Day yeah, of course.
1: Noted. Also, let me ask you this. You got a discount on sunglasses for that? I, I'll find you one for sure. I, I have one for you, Brawner. Mm. National Yo-Yo Day. <laughs> have you ever been able to yo-yo? That's one of those things generationally to where I know there's a lot of people growing up, probably 40s, 50s, and 60s. If you got a yo-yo in your stocking or you went to Toys R Us, you wanted that yo-yo, especially the yo-yo that would light up as it goes up and down. National Yo-Yo Day on June 6. Yeah,
2: uh, not well, but I've played with a yo-yo before. Uh, you know, I, I certainly not something I'm skilled at, but uh, National Yo-Yo Day, I got one for you over right, here. right, let's per- go with one it. of the more odd ones I've seen. National Applesauce Cake Day? Come on. Come on, Bronner. You've never had that that applesauce cake? No, it sounds like something I'd like, too. Is that like a Southern
1: thing? What what, what is that? Brother, I'm not even going to lie to you. I have no clue (laughs) what applesauce cake is. Applesauce cake. It sounds like I like applesauce. I like cake. Seen the pictures, but have never tasted uh, an applesauce cake. It's now, does anybody try the applesauce cake? If you have, please let me know so I can try that one out. That's that's a new one. And, and here's one that that Mobile used to have: National Drive-In Movie Day. Mm. The drive-in movies, something of the past, gone away that you could bring back. But National Drive-In Movie Day, and and I don't know how how's your green thumb? Do You have green thumb. <laughs> I don't have a yard. Well, <laughs> you know, I live in National
2: Gardening Exercise Day garden, is also garden today. Garden Exercise, da- not National Gardening Day. No. Garden exercise Day.
1: Well, I tell you this much. You're going to get exercise if you're planning right. anything, the up and down movement and, and digging in. But it's National Guarding Exercise Day as well. Russian so, Language Day? You, speak russian for me go go ahead give me something in russian bro mm. i know you got some in in, in your back pocket
2: привет cory it is national russian language day yes very good day yes that's that's about all i can do an accent for you i can't really speak russian it's
1: I, I know haim's co- favorite movie is rocky <laughs> and, and and whether it's rocky three or rocky four when when he takes on the russian come come on you you can't give me the final drive is about to
2: end. Yes, and uh it's been good show and uh then we go home and eat dinner. So uh, so yeah, do you know any
1: Russian at all?
2: I t- I hit you with the proviette. I think that means hello. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: uh, Are you sure? I
2: I am pretty sure. <laughs> I'm like 80% sure. Uh maybe someone who's Russian can can weigh in on that one, but uh yeah, I think I think I got that one right. I'm pretty sure 80%. I think that's what that means. Russian language day though June 6th.
1: All right. Well, well there it is. I mean, we we've given you what today is for sure and every single day we will hit you with it's also world pest day. Now, pest. see that's something world pest day is something that yeah. is that good or bad? I I, I don't like
2: pests, do you? No, can't stand. So uh it. yeah,
1: I mean, I guess I guess they need a day of recognition. Well, I I will say this, you know, it, th- this show has not been one that that needs an exterminator <laughs> today. So <laughs> was, y- y- you look at <laughs> that was something. Jocks do said from LSU covering us today with the LSU Tigers, Chris Gordy, always on Tuesday. John Fanta broke down a little bit of college basketball for us. You can always Check out the podcast on WNSP now. Tomorrow, we'll have Sterling Dixon Jr. here. Mobile's Finest, our new Wednesday segment. Second week of that, Sterling Dixon Jr. will be joining us in studio. Mobile Christian, Alabama. Commit, you don't want to miss that. We'll also have Future Ones, WNSP now. Double team, Taylor Estes also joining us tomorrow. So you don't want to miss And again, tomorrow's edition, what day is it? You'll find out what we'll be celebrating tomorrow as well. Thanks for tuning in and checking in here on The Final Drive.